Good morning. All right, we got four people. Good morning. Tell you what, that's the best announcements I've heard in a long time in a church. And then he goes and sits in the nosebleed section. I just don't understand that, but I can see why. But Or maybe it's the amen corner, I don't know. So I was entertained walking up the stairs. I'm going to tell you, that lady ran up the stairs with heels on. Afterwards, we'll, we'll work on some things, all right. So, but... Uh, it was fun this morning. I was coming down, talking to the sound guys, making sure that I had the mic that I was supposed to have and everything, wherever I was supposed to be. And I was said, hey, do you want a lapel mic or do you want this mic? You know, And I said, well, I'll just do this mic so I don't roam around and get off track. So that's good for you. Amen. My wife's like, amen. That's good. But, but as I was walking down the stairs, I heard some men say, who's this guy preaching this morning? And one of them said, he's that athlete guy. I said, well, I didn't say much. I just kept walking like, I am not an athlete. But but uh, I think some of you can concur in the building. Right, Brother Daniel? So, but anyway, this morning I want you to turn to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. I, I talked to uh, Dr. Patrick earlier, and he said that y'all had been in James, and it's one of my favorite books, but I didn't want to take the away uh, from what he has to share with you about the book of James. So we're going to call a time out on that and going to share with you this morning out of the book of Joshua. I know that many of you in this room uh, remember where you were on 9-11. You remember the moment that 9-11 happened as you watched one tower fall and then you watched the second tower fall. Maybe you saw the plane go in. I remember Charles Gibson on Good Morning America's There's been a tragedy as a plane has crashed into the the World Trade Center. And at that moment, not knowing anything that was taking place, not realizing that it was a hijack and a terroristic attack, within a few minutes later, a few moments later, a second plane has hit the tower. And at that moment, America knew it was under attack. And then as we watched helplessly as something I never thought I would ever see in my lifetime. You, I watched help, helplessly, and this was before, if you'll remember, before flat-screen TVs, before you hung them on a wall. It was the big things that we use for trotline weights now, if you know what I mean. It was the big TVs. It took up half the living room, those TVs did. But I remember as I watched helplessly as the first tower fell and then eventually the second tower fell. And There was something about that that obviously impacted not just my life, but every life in this room. As we can still remember those moments, we can still see the images. Just yesterday, it was, as most of you know, I'm the baseball chaplain at Southern Arkansas University, and I had written this message. And just yesterday, we had a recruit that was there for family days. They've got their inner squad and their World Series going on. And there was a recruit there from New York that is committed to play baseball at Southern Arkansas. My wife and I had the opportunity to visit with he and his parents afterwards. And come to find out, he is the police chief in Long Island, just across the way from from New York City. And I just said to him, I said, were you there during 9-11? And his words are, yes, my partner's brother was killed in... 9-11, and he started sharing stories, and he says, every person in the city knew somebody in the tower that died. The impact that it had, and at that time, 
It was President Bush in 2001. And he made this statement and he used a phrase in the statement as he addressed America, these three words, stay the course. Today I want to spend the next few moments just on the simple fact of stay the course. This phrase was used the first time in print in 1885 as it comes from as they were referring to the horse races. Stay the course meant in the sense of the ability of a horse to endure the race and reach the finish line, preferably in the winning position. Today I wonder what it's like for us as believers to stay the course. I know here at First Baptist in New Boston there's been some transition over the last few years and you have been diligently seeking and looking for a new youth pastor or looking for a new worship leader. And I challenge you this morning and I challenge you to stay the course this morning. Now today I'm probably going to say some things that you may not agree with. I don't apologize for those things. I don't apologize for the things that I say, but there's always going to be things that I say and you, you say that we're not going to agree on. But I want you to hear the content this morning. I'm not here to challenge you. I'm not here to gripe at you. I'm just here to push you and to say, what would it look like if we stayed the course? Because the thing is, is that when we stay the course, things begin to change. Things begin to happen in our lives. And what I mean by staying the course this morning is that it's not that we do the same thing over and over and over again, but we stick to the belief system that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Because if there's anything else, it doesn't matter. As long as Jesus is lifted up in the house of the Lord, it's okay to say amen this morning. Is that okay with everybody? You see, we can learn a lot by staying from the course in the book of Joshua. I've had you turn there. It's in chapter 1 we see in Joshua where literally it says, My servant Moses is dead. Joshua is faced with the task. He's faced with this task of, of sharing and, and t- faced with this task of leading these people that have been led by Moses for many years. And suddenly Joshua is dead. There's a death to a generation that happens. There's a death to a style that happens, if you will. There's a death to something. There's a shift that happens. And Joshua takes over. God comes to Joshua and says, My servant Moses is dead. And if you hear that as a believer, you're looking at this, and Joshua had to be one of those going, Well, I was at the funeral. I know that, God. What are you thinking? But there's something about when God stamps in and says, there's something changing in the atmosphere. Moses, my servant, is dead. But then he goes on to say in verse 9, and he says these words, This is my command. Everybody say the word command. This is my command. God is speaking to Joshua. This is my command. Be strong And courageous. Church, I challenge you this morning to be strong and courageous in your faith. As you know, we live in a world that has been turned upside down. The enemy is on a rampage. We've got people acting like, pardon my expression, but idiots in the streets. We've got, you like my phrase, I love it. We've got people just, just 
screaming out loud all of their sin. And the Scripture says that they will run up and down the streets and yell, and their sin will yell out against them. We've got people running. And I keep telling my wife, yes, it's going to get worse, but i got good news. It has to get worse in order before it gets better. Because when it gets better, that's when the trumpet's going to sound and we're no longer going to be here. That's what it's about. It has to get worse before it gets better. Because the Scripture says that when you see these times, it says to lift your head because the end is near. I got good news and bad news for you this morning. The end is near. It's good news for us as believers, amen, because the end is near. But in this room, maybe you're an unbeliever. I got bad news for you. The end is near. But the good news is, is by the end of this service, you can come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And He can change your life forever. And He changes things. Just like she was sharing this morning, like when you have that relationship, something changes about us. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. I hope you walked out of this room this morning by the end of this message and you're fired up. I hope you're excited. I hope you're pumped up. I hope you're ready to run through the wall for Jesus. I hope you're ready to walk out of this place and when you go to Amigo Juan's, I'm not endorsing them, or if you go to Church's Chicken, or if you go to KFC, or if you decide to drive to Texarkana and go to Chick-fil-A, that's going to be funny because it's Sunday and they're closed, all right? But you decide wherever you go to eat, you can't wait to tell the waitress what you learned in church this morning. And you can't wait to tell the person sitting next to you in the, in the restaurant of how good God has been to you. Has He been good to you this morning? Is there anybody in this room that He's been good to you? There's just sometimes I sit around the house and I'm just thankful for how good He's been to me. I mean, i got a beautiful wife. I mean, look how ugly this is and how beautiful she is. Opposites truly do attract. Amen? Be careful up there in the cheap seats. I hear you amen up there. But as we move on in Joshua chapter 6, he says to be strong and courageous. Stay the course. For the Lord of God is with you. And we move over into Joshua chapter 6, and that's where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning as we're going to learn four lessons from Joshua as he fights the battle of Jericho. So God has given him this promise. I think we have to understand that in Joshua chapter 1, he's calling Joshua said, saying, Hey, Moses, my servant, is dead. Which, what a thing to be called a servant of God. And then he says, Joshua, hey, you're the guy now. You're the man. You're taking the reins. You're going to be the guy that's going to be over this army. Joshua takes over. And in Joshua chapter 6, he's tasked with a battle that is unlike any other battle that we've ever seen or ever heard of and how this battle is won. And we look in verse 1 and it says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city all of the men of war going around the city once. Thus, you shall do this for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets and ram's horns before the ark. 
On the seventh day you shall mark around this, march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. And when they have, when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout. Everybody say shout. Now I know some of you are nervous already in the Baptist church. Is he going to make us shout? Not yet. But he said, you shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. And they want, and they will win the war. Now, this is a whole different way of fighting a war. When we look at the war on terrorism, we see it's a whole different battle that we've ever fought before. Because it truly is, and I'm not going to get into all of those things this morning, but it truly is a holy war that we are facing. Because everything they would do, I've had former students that have been over and, and been in interrogation and seen videos, and everything they would do over in the, in the, in the Middle East as they would try to take out our troops was under Allah. They have videos as before they would hit the button on the IED, they would say the English translation would be under Allah, under Allah, under Allah. So there's this holy war that's taking place. And we see the same thing here. Here's God calling Joshua saying, hey, these people are entrapped, they're encapsulated, and you're going to take over this city. This is my city and we're going to take it. He instructs Joshua to go forward. And it's a very unconventional thing that we see. Because he says to Joshua, listen, you're not going to go and take them by force, but you're going to go and worship me, and you're going to be quiet first, which is a miracle with millions of people. Amen? I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried to get that many people to be quiet and follow directions, but it's near impossible. Anybody ever been into a middle school? I mean, it's like herding cats and squirrels at the same time. I mean, these middle school boys. Anybody ever seen a squirrel try to cross the road? It's like all over the place. That's what a middle school boy looks like trying to chase a girl. And then all of a sudden, he gets run over and he's just his tail does this. I mean, it's bad. But trying to get that. Some of you are like, yes, I have one of those at my house. I have a grandchild that's like that, okay? We're praying for you. <laughs> So you will make it out alive, I promise. My wife tells me, she goes, she called me one day, she goes, I, well, I'm not going to make it out of middle school. So what are you talking about? She goes, I, I'm about to go nuts with these boys. She goes, can we just lock them up for the next two years and then let them out when they get into the ninth grade? It didn't work. No, no, I'm teasing. But to try to get millions of people to follow directions, to try to get millions of people to say, listen, we're going to walk around this and we're going to hike over there. To get millions of people to buy into a vision. We try to get 50 people to a business meeting to go the same direction. It's near impossible. Amen? Yeah, okay. But these are the millions of people. And they want him to go, hey, we're going to do this. And Joshua goes to his people. I mean, just imagine what he says. Hey, guys, here's what we're going to do. All of you, we're going to march. And we're going to march around the city. And then we're going to come back to the camp. And we're going to go about our day. And you're not to say a word. They're going. What happened to Moses? <laughs> Why can't we just do it the way Moses used to do it? Joshua says, hey, this is what we're going to do. So, so they march around the city for day one. And then they get to day two, day three, day four. And 
Here's the interesting part. You know day four they're getting back to camp and like, hey, there's nothing happening. What's going on here? Like, Joshua has lost his ever-loving mind. There's no way this is going to work. Why is that? Because we're not seeing results. And a lot of times what happens in our lives is that when we don't see results, we lose faith. We stop praying. We stop seeking Him. We stop thinking that God can. We stop thinking that God can save my lost loved one. God can change my city. God can change the city government or God can change my country. May I tell you, if we'll stay the course and keep trusting in Him, I promise you, at the end of this thing, He is still going to be King of kings and the Lord of lords. Day four goes by. Day five. Day six, nothing happens. Day seven, they walk around. About the fifth time, I know there's probably discouragement. Like, okay, number six on day seven. Number seven. And if you're Joshua, the leader, you're like, okay, God, you said this is going to work. If this doesn't work, I'm going to be ousted. I'm done. They're going to kill me. No big deal. I'm out of here. But they stayed the course. And we see the rest of the story, and I won't read the rest of it, but they were able to, the walls fell and they were able to run in and conquer the city of Jericho. Because for one reason, they stayed the course. They were obedient to what God had said for them to do. And here's what I want to us to understand about staying the course is that it wasn't about tradition. It was about trust in Him. It wasn't about tradition. It was about trust in a God that is greater than everything that's in this room and outside of this room. And I think what happens to us as individuals is that is that the older we get or the more experienced we get as believers, we get into this rut of we've never done it this way or there's no way God can do it this way. May I tell you, He can. My, my family and I, my wife and I, in the middle of the busiest season of our lives, over the last four weeks we've had fills of faith. And some of you, have anybody heard of fills of faith by chance? Several of you have. We've had four of those events. We've had over 5,000 kids attend those events. We've had over 450 decisions to follow Jesus at those events. Is that not amazing what God has done? And in the middle of all of that, my wife decided that we needed to move. She found a house she loved. Y'all pray for her. (laughs) But just before we started that, we moved. And the crazy part is, is I called our realtor and I said, listen, and I called the loan, and I'm, I'm dealing with all these people in the process. If you've ever bought a house, you know what it's like. And I said, you've got to get everything to line up. And we were, we had a contingency offer on the house, and we sold our house in less than 48 hours after we, uh, they accepted the offer or went on the market. And we went to closing, and I looked across and I said, man, God has been so good through this process. And the realtor, the loan officer, and the person that was there at the title company, she did not realize. And she said, well, what do you mean? And I've got a realtor friend in the room, and so he'll understand when I say this. But I said, God's been so good. He's been, he's just moved in, in ways. And, and the realtor said, yeah, when you call me t- 
two weeks ago, I, he said, I got off the phone and he said, I laughed because I thought, he's an idiot. There's no way. I'm like, I've been called an idiot. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's great. There's no way this is going to happen. But I'm here to tell you that when God gets involved, things can move and things can shake and it can happen so fast. We looked from the day we looked to, at the house to the day we closed was 33 days. It's usually the title company looked at me and said, it's 45 minimum. I said, well, we just broke that record. And I said, it's because there was a God in heaven that was looking down and showing his favor upon us. When you trust in him, everything changes. When you put your full faith in him, I'm not talking about him just being savior, but when he becomes Lord of your life. See, in, in Joshua's situation, he was Lord of his life. He trusted him. There's this thing I call blind faith, which faith is blind in, in all senses. But there's this, this blind faith that you have to have that no matter what happens, I'm still going to praise him and I'm still going to trust him. And I stand before you saying that you can trust him. When I walk into a Fields of Faith event, I have to trust Him. I'll be honest with you. There's some days I'm like, is anybody even going to show up? But I got people going, man, you're crazy. People will show up. I'm like, listen, this is a God thing. This is not about me. In just a few months right here in New Boston, we're going to be doing an event called Court of Champions. I invite all of you to come and be a part of that. We're working on some dates, working on to make sure the calendar is going to work. But it's going to be an event where we reach students and we reach athletes and coaches and Everybody in between. And we shared Jesus at the high school gym from around the area. Let me tell you something. There's power when God shows up and you trust Him. I challenge you to move from just having Him as Savior, but Lord of your life, Lord of your finances, Lord of your home, Lord of every area of your life. Because this is what happens is that when He's Lord, He fights battles for you. And it may not look traditional. It may not look like everything else that we've ever seen. It may look totally different. But the message is still the same. Jesus saves. You know, there's four things that I want to just give you very quickly in our time remaining this morning. And I'll move very fast. It's number one, I think there's four things that Joshua teaches us is number one, to be courageous. I mean, Joshua had big shoes to fill. I mean, he followed Moses who had freed the people from captivity, who had, he had pulled them out of Egypt. And it says that they had been around the mountain for 40 years. They've been just stuck and not able to go to the promised land. But he called Joshua to be courageous. Like, listen, I know you've seen these last 40 years and it's been the same thing over and over. But for the next 40 years, you're fixing to see victory. You're fixing to see the promised land, what I've been wanting these people to see. He saw God speak through the burning bush. Joshua was standing there. He saw the Ten Commandments from God in Moses' hands. He saw the, the water flow out of the rock. He saw all of these different miracles, and Joshua was like, you're choosing me? See, it was a big transition to the next leader. He walked alone many days. There was no one that believed in him. He faced opposition. But here's what Joshua did that we can all learn, is that he was courageous. He stayed the course. He stayed the course so well that he made the cut. And we're talking about him this morning. 
We're talking about him many years later. He was courageous. When there was nobody else that would stand up, Joshua said, hey, I'll take the role. I'll run with it. I'll be courageous. I'll make the tough decisions. I'll be the one that will step out. I'll be the one that will stand alone when nobody else will. I tell you, as a mother and as a father, as a leader, there's some days that we have to stand alone and be courageous and just trust that he's got it in his hands. There's some days that we have to trust that our kids are going to make it. I've got two sons, and I have to trust that they're going to make it. My youngest was was hurt very, very bad by a church situation uh, earlier this year, and just been praying for him. My wife and I, have just we've just been trusting and letting him heal and trust. And about three weeks ago, he comes in and sits in our bedroom and says, I mean, there was just a different countenance on his face. And he says, it's time for me to get up and keep moving forward. You know, I have to trust that my son that lives in, in St. Louis or in Chesterfield just outside of St. Louis is trusting in him. I just have to trust. I just have to stand and just be courageous because, hey, I've raised him. It's like my wife says that we learned from a, a, a beautiful couple that spoke in our lives a few years ago just said, hey, I gave you 18 years. The rest of them are up to you. Somebody was like, that's the best statement ever. <laughs> we have to trust. We have to be courageous to release our kids into this world. We have to be courageous to step up as leaders in our home when, when, hey, it's not the most popular decision to make. It's not the most popular decision to maybe say no to the, to the cell phone until they turn a certain age or maybe say no to what the pressures are at school to the certain clothes that are being taught. It may be that we have to be, have courageous and courage to say no to certain things in order to get a yes to Jesus. Be courageous. Number two is be dependable. You see, there are things in life that I can depend on, that tomorrow the sun's going to rise. This evening the sun's going to set. I can depend on that if I throw this, this, this iPad off, that gravity's going to take over. I can depend on gravity, but I can also depend that Jesus is coming back. You see, Joshua stuck to the task even when it didn't make sense. He was dependable. And this morning I ask you, are you dependable? Can the church as a whole, can the church as First Baptist depend on you to step up? To bring candy for a trunk or treat? You say, that's, that's so old, there's no way. Listen, it works. I've seen it work. I've seen people walk on campuses just like this to some event like truck or treat and all of a sudden they join the church and all of a sudden they give their heart to Jesus Christ over a $5 bag of candy. And you got to be a part of that. Be dependable. Are you dependable? Number three is be optimistic. What does that mean? Believe when no one else is believing. Joshua believed when nobody else, when they've circled the mountain and they've, they've been around the city for six days straight and they get to day seven and they're on circle number five, lap number five, and they're going, and he's going, everybody else is going, I don't know if this is going to work. Anybody ever been around those people? I don't, they're always the pessimist in the group. Anybody been around them? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just got to love a pessimist. They want him to raise their hand this morning. <laughs> 
Y'all saw all, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, the optimist is like, hey, we can do this. And the pessimist is like, dang, we ain't got a chance to win this game. I've been around them. I've been told many times that this won't work, that the pessimist is always the one that says, well, there's just no way. And I'm sitting here going, yes, we can. And then I love it when it works because I get to look at the pessimist and said, hey, why don't you join on our side of the team because it ain't working too well on that side. <laughs> Joshua was an optimist. I mean, they lapped five on the, on the last day and I can promise you, he's like, guys, just keep marching, just keep going because I know in my spirit that something great is going to happen. And Generation Church, I tell you, First Baptist Church, I tell you that, listen, something good is about to happen. Three people believe that. That's awesome. Something, there's a shift about to happen. There is coming, I believe, for lack of a better term, a great revival. There's a great awakening happening. Listen, 450 students have given their life to Christ over the last month. There's nowhere else in the world that that's happening. May I tell you, there's an awakening happening in our students. And why can't it just happen right here in New Boston, Texas? Why can't it happen here at First Baptist Church? An awakening. What are you willing to give up so your kids and grandkids can come to know Jesus? An awakening. I believe it can happen. I believe that we've yet to see the greatest move of God in our, in our world yet. I believe we're going to see salvations like we have never seen before. God wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use all of us. And the last one is be an encourager. I know this sounds kind of crazy, and I'm that athlete guy. But I say, be a spiritual cheerleader. Cheer on each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up in the faith. It's what Scripture tells us to do, is to edify the body, to build each other up, to encourage each other, not to be downtrodden, not to swim in our sorrows, but to encourage each other in the faith. I didn't like that song this morning. Some of you are like, I really didn't. <laughs> you know what? She's volunteered her time to lead us in worship this morning. We ought to be walking by and saying, thank you for leading us in those songs this morning. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Keep doing what you do. It's exciting. I've been to some churches, they're like, I ain't leading no worship. you if, I, if you see me leading worship, leave. It's a bad day. They're, they're at the bottom of the barrel. Rip, why are you laughing so hard? All right. <laughs> but be an encourager. Lift each other up. I'm telling you, when people come to church and they find a place like this, encourage them. I was watching a service this morning and their, their sermon was literally four stories out of their church of where God had changed lives. And every one of the stories stated, when I walked into and they listed the church, I felt loved for right where I was. I never felt judged. And I found a Savior that loved me no matter what my past encountered. Folks, that's what the church should be. Is we should be a hospital for people that can come to know Jesus. Be an encourager. Joshua encouraged 
ever wanted them to stay the course. First Baptist, I challenge you this morning to stay the course. We end with Psalms 119, verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to read out of the message version. I know some of you may not care for that, but I think it says it best. It says, you're blessed when you stay the course, walking steadily on the road revealed by God. You're blessed when you follow His directions, doing your best to find Him. That's right. You don't go off on your own. You walk straight along the road that He set. First Baptist, stay the course. The best is yet to come. Lord, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that Joshua sets for us to stay the course. Lord, even when it doesn't make sense, even when we don't understand, even when we don't see the future, he had the faith to stay the course. And Lord, I pray this morning over this church and over us as believers, we feel like we're trapped and we feel like maybe we, we don't see an end in sight, but Lord, I ask you to help us to stay the course. Lord, as believers, may we encourage each other. May we build each other up and not tear each other down. May we embrace our differences. And Lord, may we be those people that are always the ones that are there to lift up each other and to pick each other up when we fall down. Lord, help us to be more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.